Stafford, and you found Girls That Create, a new podcast on Word of Mom Radio. Girls That Create gets its name from a website I founded several years ago. The site provides parenting resources for raising creative girls while also encouraging greater female representation across the arts. This is a show about parenting, creativity, and helping the next generation of creators become who they want to be. Are you ready? Then hit subscribe. Welcome, Chris Perry, to the Girls That Create podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So to start with, tell me about Children's and Screens and what inspired you to become executive director of the organization. Well, Children's and Screens was founded in 2013. It's our 10th anniversary this year. And the overarching mission has been to help children lead healthy lives in a digital world and giving parents and policymakers actionable steps that are data-driven, evidence-based, to make the best decisions they can in supporting children. And in this really interesting dynamic time in our history, we've never seen a product and a place like online digital lives accelerate and take over all of our lives in the way that, that it has in this past generation. My interest in being here is that I've spent the last 30 years as a child advocate looking at the ways in which children develop and how to support them to have their optimal development and have happy, successful lives. And it really struck me when I joined the organization that that we were watching something monumental and historic. And it was really a watershed moment that it felt like there was nothing else we could point to that has had such a rapid adoption and such such sort of overarching impact on children worldwide. Yeah, I know it used to be we would joke about parents being like, oh, well, back in my day, this and this. But I mean, we're having kids who are growing up in worlds night and day difference than how it was 15 years ago. Absolutely. In fact, it was just in 2010 that Facebook went full scale and the smartphone was easily available. So we, the combination of social media and devices advancing right around that time. And now we've got 10, 12, 13 years worth of data to see how are we doing? How are teenagers doing? How are young kids doing? How are adults doing? It's been long enough now that we can answer some of those questions, but also really see the dramatic changes in a short period of time. You know, teaching kids to navigate the ever-changing internet, it can feel really daunting and frustrating as a parent. I'm a parent of two girls, tween and a teen. I sometimes describe it as whack-a-mole because it feels like you're constantly trying to stay on top of all the things. And then as soon as you kind of get a idea of one thing, another thing pops up and you've got to learn about that. And I would love to hear your thoughts about teaching kids to navigate this online world versus policing them online. And I know, you know, right now we're kind of in an interesting period where a lot of state legislatures are trying to figure out laws that help protect kids in a sense. And it's kind of going one way, which would be the need to prohibit and maybe age gating where you have to be a certain age to access these platforms. The other one being more of how do we compel companies to put better safety measures in place for kids who are using these platforms. And maybe some are even trying to do kind of a combo of both of them. That's great. But I mean, I'm kind of thinking right now as a parent, I'm, I'm living in today <laughs> and then now. So what suggestions do you have kind of helping teach kids to navigate this online space? 
Well, just to, to start, we do not advocate for the policing approach. We really believe that that can undermine the positive and warm relationship between parents and their children. And yet we know that there is a need for some involvement, obviously, and that those can vary widely depending on the age of your child. So it's not good to generalize in this case, you know, in terms of the type of family you have, the values you have, the age of your children. But no matter what, the policing aspect of this is probably not going to turn out well if you only employ that technique. We know that balance is everything when it comes to parenting and having a happy family life. And so that's true around devices and social media. It's the same common sense approach to having the you know a loving interest and firm limits and boundaries and great open communication. So some of the things that we often like to say is, you know, sort of be aware that just because you might use a privacy app or you might think that you're monitoring your child by using an app that you can download or ways that you can restrict your child's activities online, there really are always workarounds to these. I like to give parents this sort of real reality check that is as easy as it sounds to use one of those. In fact, children are really savvy and they figure out how to work around them. It's also not great to be secretive. So if you are um, putting any device like that in place and you're using it, your child doesn't know that you're looking at their content, that you might be monitoring their location, that you're passively viewing their content, what they're serving, that too really undermines that open communication and trust that you're trying so hard to build and the boundaries that you should be developing that your child will adopt and internalize for themselves. I think the last other don't in this area is really sort of using it as a way to catch them in bad behavior. We really strongly suggest that you reframe things in a positive way and let your child help negotiate the rules for using their device and how long to be on and be engaged in that conversation with you so that they have more ownership of the final product and hopefully will adopt what it is you really want by wanting to please you, by wanting to have that trusting relationship with you. It's interesting with the guidelines because when I was kind of, you know, preparing for this interview, I was thinking about how we handle driving, which is a little bit similar because someone turns 16 and you don't just, or 15, I guess, you don't just stick them in a car and say, good luck with that. You'll be fine. I mean, there's a buildup, there's learning, there's, you know, parents have sat in the car and taught. And in a lot of ways, that's the same mindset, I think, that can apply to our online world. Like you're saying, parents involved, talking, guiding, explaining how these things work, how these different platforms are, and what is an algorithm, and and understanding feelings when you're being exposed to different types of uh, social media online. Yes, there is a wide array of options. And again, back to the age of your child, your child's personality or temperament, your personal values as parents, like you have to factor in all of these criteria just as you would with any other new life skill your child might be able to achieve based on their age. And online digital life is very much, you know, that's a good comparison using the, the other the other new activities they might get to do based on age with how they might have more freedom around social media and digital media as they get older and demonstrate that they use good judgment, just like we do with cars. I think too, and I've thought about this as well, because we as adults do this, it's the comparison piece of it, especially by thinking with girls, you know, with body image and you're seeing a lot of things now with filters and Photoshopping and this kind of sometimes a strive to look a certain way. 
And it frustrates me sometimes because I feel like we are we have not made any steps forward from what how we used to look at magazines or film or all the airbrushing and all the trying to fit a certain look. And now it's just transferred online. To me, it's almost like common sense. Well, of course, this is the same problem. We just have a new platform for this type of challenge. I would love to hear your thoughts about helping our kids recognize when they're comparing and then having that healthy, mindful reset. Like, ooh, I know what I'm doing now. I see what I'm, I'm kind of feeling these feelings and I need to back off or reset or rethink why I'm feeling this way. Mm. What a common problem. You're expressing something that we hear all the time from parents. So I want to reaffirm that that is a really common experience and one that teens can't easily avoid because developmentally in adolescence, there is a time of heightened social comparison and body image concerns. And it's especially true for girls and transgender youth. And although we know boys aren't immune either to some of these new highly visual social media images and that those concerns and it can be very real we know that the amount of photo editing and the filters create distortions and they even have the ability to connect your children with celebrities and influencers and get them to think that they can be something that's very 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 almost impossible to be at the same time that their minds their brains are telling them that they should want to compare and be similar and because of this, there's something we refer to as upward social comparison. This is actually a psychological phenomenon. It can be very, very harmful to both boys and girls' body image. So things that you can do when you know you have a child at this age and perhaps they're starting to view this kind of content is that, again, the most important thing you can do is talk with your child because that frequent, open, safe communication from a very early age is essential in helping them to develop the healthy habits and mindsets around technology that you want them to have and to help them get comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations. Because we know that the more you do that, the less strongly they'll react as they get older and the stakes may feel like they're getting higher because they're more and more focused on peers as they get older maybe a tiny bit less focused on you. So you want to build that bridge to the future that you'll be using when the stakes get a little bit higher. Remember to help them to reframe what they're thinking and feeling. And you can do that by literally telling them about the developing brain and telling them about the phenomenon of social comparison and that it's natural, it's normal to find yourself in this situation. And it can make us feel bad and offer them support for how that can feel terrible. And also discuss that highlight reel or that fantasy reel effect that social media promotes in their feeds and how they can slow that down, access it less, and do things to protect themselves from those images coming so fast and so frequently. And share your own experiences as a parent. You were a teenager at one point too. And even though you may not have had access to digital media and social media, you definitely still had access to friends and you compared yourself to them. And so this is just imagine the magnitude and the expansion of that experience into almost the infinite number of images that young people might be exposed to at this point in time. So being more mindful, having great communication, working with your child on setting healthy limits that match their age and their temperament. And then finally, it's okay to have like device free zones, device-free times. If it's hard to use it in moderation, don't have it on all the time. 
put it away, have rules as a family that we don't use our devices at dinner time. We don't use them after 9 p.m., whatever those might be, so that you know you're giving your child breaks from the amount of content that's being sent to their, to their phone constantly. Is it also worth, you know, thinking about yourself too, like who you're following and how it affects you and sharing those, like, as you were kind of saying that open communication, that discussion, you know, I follow this poet because her work inspires me, or I love this artist's work. That's why I follow them just to kind of reiterate positive ways to engage with social media. Cause I feel it's kind of cultural. We sometimes love to just harp on all the bad, but there is good to your point. Thoughtfulness is put in about how we're consuming it and being mindful and aware of that. And would that be something two parents could do is to kind of share their own experiences? Yes. I mean, we, in fact, this is probably why so many adults are concerned is we feel these things as adults and we know our brains are fully formed and we've developed lots of executive function, impulse control. We have, we have a longer lifespan to compare these things to, and yet it's really powerful. We get, and we do get brought in. And yet it's not only the downsides, there are upsides to being in a digital world and having access to really interesting content, as you point out, artists and poets and other creative people are really interesting to watch. And we learn things from them that we might not ever learn if we were only limited to the people we see in person, in real life. And it's great to share that experience and encourage more of that kind of interaction. In fact, many of the positives we hear about are with youth who may not find um, other kids like themselves in their own communities, LGBTQ youth, kids in other marginalized communities may not have peers in their local community, and they find support online with those communities, or they want to take action in some way. And they can do that online through climate or other activities that youth engage in that make them feel like they're taking a stand and they're making a difference. So as you point out, there are lots of positive things happening. It's not all downsides, but again, it's the communication, it's the self-moderation, it's pointing out and reframing that the positive content is out there. You have to be discerning, just like any other media you consume, whether it's on the television or in print, you have to be careful about what you engage in. Because we support parents or parents and caregivers who are raising like creative kiddos, that means that there's a high likelihood a kid's going to come and be like, I've created this art. I have this performance. I made up this dance. I want to put this online. But we as adults know the online world, well, kids know it too. The online world can be a very hard place and people are not kind. And what are your thoughts about how to help kids as they're starting to kind of put their work out there, but they may receive some negative cruel feedback um, and just mm. letting, because I always think online people will say things they would never say to someone in person mm -hmm. a lot of times. I mean, that's kind of what's, it seems to me. And, you know, as adults, we kind of know, we hear the, the joke is don't read the comments <laughs> about things, uh -huh. the comments off. But I think for kids, like they put something out there they're really proud of, and then it could take one or two comments that could be very, uh, not very kind that really knock them off. Yeah, oh, it's so hard. And unfortunately, people are more likely to be mean when communicating online rather than in person, just as you say. And research suggests that this is due to something called the online disinhibition effect. And there are several factors that contribute to that effect. Feelings of anonymity and invisibility, the asynchronicity of the communication the loss of the face-to-face -face connection with the other person, which can make them feel less real or without real feelings, that the action itself may feel less real due to the fact that it's in a virtual space, thus 
making it feel almost more like a game. And there's also kind of really actually a lack of accountability or authority in online spaces. So those six factors, especially for some personalities, create the perfect storm. So there are individuals who, you know, will partake in cyberbullying or online harassment and feel justified in doing it and being harsher than they would be face-to-face -face given those six characteristics. So if you are armed with that information as a parent, then you can turn around and help your child to understand why someone might be meaner online and how they can be helped by you. And that it doesn't mean sometimes that these mean words aren't real, but that they still hurt. So showing real empathy for that and asking them questions and being willing to listen to how hard this can be. I, I know as parents, if we didn't grow up with these things, we might inadvertently trivialize them and make them seem like, come on, you know, this isn't that hard, but in fact, it's very real and it hurts. It, it hurts quite a bit to be cyber bullied or, you know, insulted or put down online, be really sympathetic and actually try to think of what some of the ways you might help them learn to respond might be. In other words, role play with them. If they are in a situation where this is happening, help them figure out in real time what they could do to turn that around, disengage, unfriend, you know, the many, many techniques there are for slowing it down or stopping it in addition to validating that it doesn't feel good to be the subject of that behavior. We will take a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back with Girls That Create on Word of Mom Radio. Hi everyone, Erin here. Support for this show comes from Elevate Alliance. It can often feel lonely being a small business owner. That's why I joined Elevate Alliance to find support and sisterhood with others who are taking on similar challenges. Elevate provides community, accessible learning, and support in integrating more conscious business practices, all of which have benefited my career in Girls That Create. Elevate Alliance is a community of brave women entrepreneurs who are channeling our feminine wisdom to run our businesses, create social change, and find joy in who we are and what we do together. Visit ElevateAlliance.com. That's E-L-L-I-V-A-T-E Alliance.com to learn more. She is brave. She is bold. She is you. And we want to tell your story. Are you ready to share your journey with us on Word of Mom Radio? Go to wordofmomradio.com and register as a guest. We want to tell your story because when you win, we all win. Healing Through the Arts, a wonderful creative program by Arte Gallery and sponsored by Visit Bucks County down in New Hope, Pennsylvania in February, March, and April. Join the team at Arte Gallery and showcase wonderful artists who are healing problems through the arts, whether it's a sickness and illness, miscommunication, barriers on cultural divides or racism and things. Everything is addressed through the creative process. Join us for classes, lectures, and beautiful displays of Healing Through the Arts at Arte Gallery. For more information, log on to artegallery.com. That's A-R-E-T-E gallery.com. Unsilenced Voices has been working diligently in Ghana, Sierra Leone, Rwanda, and the USA to combat domestic violence, sexual abuse, and human trafficking. We currently have over 50 young girls on a wait list in Sierra Leone to go through a vocational training program to get them off the streets and out of harm's way. We have gifted over $33,000 to U.S. survivors and are looking for volunteers and donors to help us continue our cause. Please visit us at www.unsilencedvoices.org. Again, 
unsilencedvoices.org for more information. Don't let the name fool you. Stadiumbags.com is not just for sports fans. Our clear bags make it easier for you to get into any venue that you go to. And in today's world where we are so concerned about germs, the materials that our bags are made with are strong enough to stand up to the solvents that you can use to clean your bag so you know you come home safely. So check out stadiumbags.com. You'll see why we are the clear choice because safety, it's in the bag. And we're back on Word of Mom Radio and Girls That Create. And I'm speaking with Chris Perry. Bullying happens, but one of the challenges I think is when I was growing up, if something happened at school, you could leave it at school. You walked out the door, you went home, you were with your closest friend or your family and it was all there. You knew you'd have to deal with it the next day, but you kind of had a, a break. A break to figure out how you felt, a break to figure out what you were going to do, strategize how you're going to work around what was going on. And today, you know, with the devices, a lot of that's following them home. It's really hard to get those breaks. What would you advise for parents who are kind of just seeing, you know, how can we help kids break away and draw from being engaged 24-7 and just recognizing like, hey, you don't have to be in tune with your phone all the time. Like it's actually better to step away from it. But it, it's so challenging because many of the popular platforms are designed to get users to log on more frequently and stay on longer. And attention is the name of the game. And the manipulative techniques such as, you know, being used by tech today make it very, very difficult to do that with the sort of short form video applications that TikTok and Snapchat are using, which create something called a flow state, which we haven't talked about yet, where you don't even realize how long you've been on. You don't even recognize that you are going to stop. So they're they're really addictive and it is very difficult to put it down. But as you say, again, your influence as a caregiver is real and asking them to stop using the device as much as they are, you know, there really is evidence that suggests that those caretaker relationships with adolescents and the family habits that you have and the environment that you establish to help young people really have a healthy relationship with social media are critical. One thing that is also important to remember when they stop or use the device less, they tend to have fewer depressive symptoms. We know that this is one of the very big worries nationwide. The pandemic was very difficult for for young people. In addition, they've had access to these devices and these programs now for many, many years. And we're seeing a real uptick in depression and anxiety in adolescents. And so that's a good thing to remind them, too, that there is evidence that shows this is more likely to occur. So your mediation, as you know, we were talking about, is really important and intervening and having that communication. One of the other things I'll mention briefly, and maybe we can talk about it more, is there are new laws being introduced and legislation to figure out how to support parents to support kids. Sometimes it's almost impossible sometimes as a parent to make all these decisions and get it exactly right when the products themselves are so easy to use for children and so hard for you as a parent to control. So there are some new sort of higher level decisions being made that might impact families in the coming months, coming years. Yeah, I was surprised. I don't know why I was surprised. I should just know, but you know, when a kiddo turns 13, they can go get an email and it's their email. And now it's set right now is that I, as a parent actually can't access that email because it's their email, which 
mind boggling because then an email obviously gives you access to setting up accounts, you know, as long as you're 13. And I think that kind of goes back to that idea of the policing, good luck, because of the workarounds that are currently are existing. I know, like you said, that there are changes on the horizon maybe to address some of that. But until I had someone who went across the magic line of 13, all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, you can do this. We need to talk about this. Um, but that was still jarring to me. And I, I mean, I, I, and I was amused though that it surprised me, even though I thought I was pretty well read on this stuff. Uh-huh. Well, you are. <laughs> and it's not right. only true that 13 is a significant age, but I mean, they're not only able to open email, they're able to get on virtually every platform. Right. And um, there was even a survey in 2021 that showed that 49% of parents reported that their children 10 to 12 years of age use social media. And 32% reported that their children aged seven to nine years old were using social media. I'm sure that doesn't come as a surprise to your audience. Another report of tweens themselves found that 40% of eight to 12 year olds were using social media and nearly one in five were using social media every day. So you have reason to be concerned. These are huge numbers for very young children, children seven to nine. And many of the parental controls that seem like they're the answer to this and will give you the relief that you're looking for. 40% of parents recently in a survey reported that it was too time consuming to monitor their child's use of social media. 20% said they were unable to find the information. They needed to even set up the parental controls. And 30% said that their children found a way to get around the parental controls. So again, we're back to conversations. We're back to communication. It's so critical that you learn these things as parents, like how much harm can be caused, what the actual effects are, and what the actual research says so that you as a family take strong positions to protect your child as much as you can. What is children's screens, or what are y'all's thoughts about raising that age from 13 to 18? Are y'all still looking at data just to kind of see what everything's telling us? We are, we're taking a really hard look at it. It's difficult to come up with a perfect age for what we are discussing, you know, is 13, 14, 15. And we were really excited that the United States Surgeon General recently came out and said that he believed that 13 was too young for children to be on social media platforms. And there's certainly research to back that up because as early as 11 to 15, these children are already reporting really negative experiences or outcomes that are related to social media that are really negative. There's a lot going on during the transition into adolescence that might make it a particularly sensitive period development that's subject to more harms of current social media. So I'm really glad the Surgeon General spoke out. Now, 18 is an age that is often used to distinguish between children and adults. And that's a little bit problematic because that transitional period before 18, where so many youth are, you know, leaving their childhood homes to start college or move on and other activities, or they're away for huge chunks of time, for whatever reason, visiting family, going to camp. We know that it's important for them to start to build the skills before they turn 18 to use these products in a way that's very much in partnership with their families. So we are not sure what the exact right age is, but somewhere between 13 and 18, mm -hmm. there is a need for the child to build the skills necessary to be online safely. And it's also, in my mind, it's the responsibility of the companies as well to make sure that the products that they're making available to children 13 to 18 are safe mm -hmm. and they're moderating content, that they're not creating highly addictive 
or negative content when they know how vulnerable developing adolescents are. Yeah, it's kind of like, look, we've now lived with this stuff for long enough. We know, we know something's going on. It's not like, you can't just be like, oh, we're just not sure yet. It's like, oh no, I think the science is showing us something's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. You know, I was thinking too about safety measures and I know another fear for parents is online predators. But, you know, one of the things I kind of, Again, thinking, you know, as you do as a parent, you think back about your own childhood and you kind of look at what what can I bring now to this very new reality? And I kind of looked at it like when I used to go to the mall and how the rules and the discussions I'd have with my parents, you're going to go to the mall with your friends. Please be smart. Think about, you know, how you interact with strangers. Don't just walk off and leave the mall by yourself. Stay with a friend, like all these different ways to kind of gain that freedom. And I know we kind of touched on this earlier, thinking about those rules and just, again, the education and those conversations and what age is really good to start having that discussion with kids? Is it, Mm -hmm. I'm going to guess it's younger than most parents think. It is. Again, there is very little moderation happening on the content side, on the platform side. It's only really something you're really able to control from the device itself. So again, the risk is real. And one national survey that was conducted just as recently as 2021, 15% of minors had experienced online child sexual abuse. 15%, 7.2% had experienced non-consensual sexting. 5.4% had experienced online grooming by adults, which is unwanted solicitation and forced images. And almost 2% had engaged in online commercial sexual exploitation It's very, very alarming. Most instances have happened to children, 13 to 17. And most of the time, you know, about 50 to 80% of cases, depending on the type of content, the perpetrators were known offline. Again, this is not only, you know, you gave the mall example, there's a crossover in some instances between online and real life. Many minors sometimes have engaged in risky online behaviors For instance, 10% of youth have willingly shared sexual images of themselves online, and 7% have had images sent to them privately online without their consent. So these perpetrators, who sometimes are adults, or sometimes peers, are sending images, it seems, quite a bit of the time to your child's phone. Some youth are also turning to social media to buy illicit drugs. As drug traffickers are able to reach a broader audience and maintain anonymity, it's not common for most youth, for youth to do this, but it's important to know that it does happen. It can happen. So things you can do, once again, privacy settings on your child's phone, make sure the account is private so only their friends can access them online and that they should be taught to be really careful not to interact with strangers, just like your parents were with you when you were going to the mall. It's the same message. And then finally, if you do become aware that your child has been has experienced any of the things I just talked about, please record and report it. It is so important. Take screenshots of inappropriate behavior or interactions as soon as you can and send it to the proper authorities. Don't delete it until after someone has acknowledged that you've sent it and they're able to do something with that material. And again, we're in an area where policy could have a positive impact. There are great reasons for contact to be limited from strangers with children and strangers and giving parents some oversight to help with this because a 13-year-old probably needs help with this. And states are starting to introduce laws 
that will help parents or help children um, be protected from unwanted interactions online. Oh, thank goodness. Last question. I know one thing I've thought about, and we kind of, again, the anxiety inducing that's kind of going on with our young people. And one of the thoughts I had about that is the phone is now everywhere. And I think about some of the choices I made growing up, not always stellar, pretty glad no one was around to record it or take a photograph of it. I think that has to be, you know, I, I look now at today's teenagers and think how difficult that is. It's so hard. Like you don't get to have the chance almost to make a screw up because at any moment someone could take a picture or recording of it. What would you recommend just talking with kids about that? Because I just think that has to be anxiety inducing in some sense. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, I believe we're all a little bit more nervous about, <laughs> <laughs> about embarrassing moments in public that might wind up on TikTok or another social media platform. I mean, that worry can be so anxiety inducing. However, as I mentioned earlier, the relationship caregivers have with their youth or children, they really do absorb your positive influence and your messaging around what's important to do, what the right thing for adults to do, what they should be modeling online and offline. And so be sure that you're doing your very best to bring up all of these possibilities with them ahead of time so that if it occurs, they've already had the opportunity to talk with you a little bit about it and they can come back to you because they know that you're thinking about it and you're aware of it. You won't be shocked. You have read, you have listened, you're a parent, you're focused on these things, you're there for them. And don't forget, it's really important to remind kids they have a right to privacy. They do. And that their behavior being documented and posted online without their consent is a violation of their privacy. And that is a really important thing as we mature and grow up that we want to protect our privacy. And we do that by, you know, modeling that we respect their privacy as parents, but also that we respect them outside of the home and we want their privacy respected there. So you can really start by modeling this yourselves, by doing some of the things we talked about earlier about not spying on them or tracking them without them knowing. That's one way to model that you respect their privacy. And at the same time, really encourage them to share their concerns and, and help them to practice how to respond if they are in a situation where someone has done something to violate their privacy. That is excellent advice. Chris Perry, thank you for coming to Girls That Create. This was a wonderful discussion. Yeah, where can families find Children's and Screens? Online, obviously. We'll have it in the show notes. And I believe y'all do workshops and talks and YouTube channel and all sorts of uh, resources. We have some great webinars. Our Ask the Experts webinars, more than 60, are on our website at childrenandscreens.com. We really encourage you to visit the library of topics that we've covered, many of which we've touched on today, that you'll hear directly from the experts in those uh, webinars. We also have tip sheets and other useful tools for parents on different topics. So yes, absolutely. Please come to our website for more resources. Fantastic. Thank you again for coming. To all of you tuning in, thank you for joining us on Girls That Create on Word of Mom Radio. Raising kids is hard. Have faith in yourself. We are going to close out with our theme song from Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. Till next time, this is Erin Prather Stafford. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is brave. She is bold. She is bold. She is you. She is you. She is you. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is brave. She is bold. She is bold. She is you. She is you. She is you. She is you. Sure of herself. Yeah, she takes care.
She is brave. She is bold. 